Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Politically Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, Chris McDaniel, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joining me in studio is... Jason Rosenbaum. And... Joe Manis. And joining us through the magic of cellular phones is... (laughs) Actually, it's a landline. He's on a landline. Is our guest this week... (laughs) Dan Meehan, President and CEO of the Missouri Chamber of Commerce and Industry. Thank you for joining us, sir. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Um, First question for everyone would be, what does your organization do? What does the Missouri Chamber of Commerce do in a nutshell? In a nutshell, we serve as the advocate for business issues and the business climate in the state of Missouri. Uh, To do that, we employ four full-time lobbyists. I myself also am a registered lobbyist. And we work primarily with the Missouri General Assembly, the administration, the different departments of the state, our congressional delegation, and uh, the courts when we have to, to make sure that we have the most competitive business climate that we can muster for the state of Missouri. How did you get involved with the chamber? Way back when, uh, ran into an old friend who... How far way back when? Yeah, where Uh, are you from? You need to tell us that. Okay. Uh, I am from St. Louis, St. Louis native. I bleed blue, and uh, Cardinals okay. need to win tonight. Key question. Uh, high school. St. Louis, you high. Okay. <laughs> That's that what he meant by ble- bleeding blue, by the way. So Yeah, yeah well, that and uh, I, I, I like our it. hockey team an awful oh. lot. Um, <laughs> but uh, at any rate, I uh, had worked for U.S. Senator Kit Bond for a while, been involved in some political campaigns and activities, uh, was working at Washington University uh, in fundraising at the time when I ran into a friend of a friend who said, you know, uh, I happen to be on the board of the Missouri Chamber of Commerce, and we've had a search open for a few months for a new vice president of government affairs. And I said, hmm, sounds interesting. Um, but at the time, I was literally six weeks away from my wedding, and very stable and doing well at Washington University, and um, I, I was thinking this is not a good time to make one of these life changes, but uh, the gentleman persisted, and finally I came down to Jefferson City, interviewed, and was offered a position. And that was one month to the day prior to our wedding, and uh, I said, well, can I let you know after the weekend, talk about it with my fiance and the then president of the chamber said, well, I'm, I'm going to Europe tomorrow, so I'd really like to know quicker than that. <laughs> and and uh, as they say, the, the rest is history, but so I accepted, kind of took a, took a chance on that. Uh, start, that was September 14th, got married October 14th, started October 30th as VP of Government Affairs. The, the president retired three years later, and uh, the board selected me to head the organization so that's that's it in a nutshell and uh two kids and three houses later here we are well how long ago was that that was in 1995 so how long have you been the the big cheese over at the chamber (laughs) of commerce so to speak uh this will be my 16th year we're we're apparently we're all very hungry here everything is in a (laughs) nutshell and cheese related (laughs) But I guess there, I guess there is no term limits on being president of the the Chamber of Commerce. Thankfully, no. <laughs> but uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, I haven't augured it in that deep, so they they keep me, I guess. 
Well, the fact that there is term limits for the legislators, I think, makes people who are in veterans in jobs like yours and others probably sought after more um, and probably gives you a bit more clout. I mean, not that you're seeking it, but that, that that's a fact because well, because you know stuff. We do know how this place runs. And I want to make another comment on that, but real quickly about term limits. I've had people say, Joe, several times, oh, that must help you to get these new guys in, in here. And they probably look to you as the lobbying community for advice and, and what have you. Sometimes that happens. But one concern that is rarely discussed is the power it gives the entrenched bureaucracy of state government. And what we've noticed is a lot of people that have been around for a long time, several term limits, uh, they sometimes develop their own agenda, even though they're not elected. And when, you know, a state department of revenue or natural resources or pick one uh, comes over and says, you know, we really need to do this, some of the newer legislators uh, accept that and sometimes don't vet it as well as it should be in our opinion, but um, that's why we we pride ourselves on knowing what's going on, what the issues are. We track every piece of legislation, know which ones impact the business community, and uh, have a good, very tight focus on, on what we're doing. So what would you say was the, were the biggest priorities for your organization in the last legislative session? And what was your success rate? We had a pretty good year. Um, I, don't, I can't tell you we got... 17 out of 30 or what that I don't have that in front of me but I'll name just a couple of them that would still um, be over 400 which would be spectacular yeah, in baseball that's a great year yeah absolutely it would be great in the legislature too because it is uh much easier to kill a bill than to pass a bill generally and, and Jason you know this and Joe it takes if you, you do a major piece of reform or something significant it might take you three years yes. even though it might ultimately pass with flying colors it's just an education process, it's a familiarity process, and getting people comfortable to take bigger steps than they're used to. Um, but this year in particular, we passed a, an unemployment insurance reform bill that, um, step back for a second, some of what we do is high profile. <laughs> Most of what we do is nuts and bolts affecting the cost of being being in business in Missouri, like this unemployment insurance bill. The unemployment insurance trust fund was designed to serve as a safety net for those people who, through no fault of their own, lose their job in a downturn like we've had in 08 and on, and they need to get tied over till the they, they, they get to their next position and, and are working again. What we've noticed is there's been a significant drain on the trust fund resources, which every employer pays into. It's an insurance uh, system where you have a rate uh, according to your layoff rate, et cetera, and so forth, and you pay in accordingly. Everybody pays into that, small, medium, and large. And we had a situation where a lot of misconduct was – cases that involved an employee being terminated for misconduct were getting – awarded unemployment insurance benefits, and I'll give you one or two just to chew on. We have a trucking company out of Springfield, Missouri, that had a person apply for a job as an over-the-road trucker. The person came in from North Carolina and was going through her training, and per 
the federal regulations, the trucking company has to issue a drug test, and she tested positive for cocaine use. And the company had was forced to say, I'm sorry, this process is over. Off you go back to North Carolina. And that person claimed unemployment from the state of Missouri and was getting it. So it's things like that that drive employers nuts, especially the smaller businesses that have a very good read on the payments they have to make for their workers' compensation, unemployment comp, whatever it might be, and they know they just got taken to the cleaners. So we passed a bill two years coming that uh, that fixed that and tightened up what the definitions of compensable benefits are. So we were happy to do that. Uh, not a sexy issue, but uh, that's one of the blocking and tackling or meat and potatoes to get back to our food analogy. Yeah, um, <laughs> and, and if I'm and Nixon. I, if I'm not mistaken, and I know that our producer hates when I use that term, and if I'm not mistaken, that bill was not signed or vetoed, so it went into law. Is that correct? You are not mistaken. Yes. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so, yeah, the governor can either sign a bill into law, veto it, or take no action, and it it, it turns into law. So I don't know why he didn't sign it. Um, we worked with the state Division of Employment Security on that to make sure we got it right. He vetoed it last year, um, but we're happy to have success. And like I said earlier, sometimes it takes some time. What what what's probably the biggest issue that is going to take some time that didn't happen this session, but next year it's something that you're going to be lobbying hard for? Oh, easily an economic development package. Uh, if you look at the last few or that or civil justice reform that's a that's a, just a tough one well you got um, the tax cuts through this session so what well, else do you want there to was do one on tax cut problem? override that occurred you're right okay. and that but when i say economic development i mean i mean a package um and some of the things that were individual issues in economic development like data centers yeah the that, data centers which the governor vetoed that got vetoed i think that one probably doesn't make it through the override uh, it is it is expensive. Some other things got added on there that kicked the price tag up, and you know you got to be responsible about this stuff. But right now, the data center portion of that, we're not make as a state generating any revenue for that because the data center expansion is not happening in Missouri. We and I'm oversimplifying, but basically our approach is treat a data byte like a manufactured output vis-a-vis -vis tax. And if we would get that in, we would see an uptick in data center operations locating and expanding in Missouri, but that didn't make it. So there, frankly, was no cost to that. It would generate future revenue, but we're not getting it now. So unfortunately, that got lumped into a bill that does have a price tag on it. But I'll take you back six years. Um, I currently serve as the chair of the Midwest Hub Commission, which was the uh, evolution of our efforts along with St. Louis City, RCGA, and others around the state, frankly, yeah, China to hub. organize an air cargo hub at Lambert Airport for international shipments originally to China. But we also realized that once you get, get international shipping going, Brazil will follow, Germany will follow, et cetera. So 
Um, we're still after that. We're still after an overall economic development package that's been held up by a debate over how to reform low-income housing tax credits and uh, uh, other tax credit policies in the state. Should you sunset them to be either reauthorized or should you just cap them? And unfortunately, the House and the Senate, with, with Republican majorities in both, have not been able to agree on that. So it's kind of the poison pill that hits economic development every year. Yeah, that's a very thorny issue, to, to put it mildly. What about oh, right yeah. to work? Yeah, right to work. It's What is kind of your organization's opinion of that issue? We're in support of that. Um, you look at uh, recent states that have done it, uh, such as Indiana, uh, Michigan, uh, to name a couple. Uh, whoever thought Michigan would be right to work? But you look at what happened in Indiana and take yourself back, and I think it was 2010, I might be off by a year or so, they passed right to work in, during the recession. The next year, they had a 37% uptick of plant expansions, site selections, and plant locations in Indiana. This works. These are not our numbers, they're Indiana's. Um, so it People that are in economic development and site selection know what states are and what states aren't. And unfortunately, as a result, Missouri probably gets overlooked an awful lot of times. And what do you make of the argument from opponents of right to work who say that policy essentially allows people who don't belong to unions to get all the benefits of unions without paying for it, essentially a free ride? essentially. And the lowering of wages. That's their other argument, that it leads to a blanket lowering of wages. How, how do you respond to that? Well, what, what gets me about that is those are coming from uh, unions that are currently uh, in companies out there. I, okay. I know the, the folks that, the, that are on the other side. And this doesn't say we're going to do away with unions. What this does say is it's up to you whether you want to belong in it. We consider it a personal choice issue, just like the paycheck protection issue that we saw have a little activity this this year. So it, why should I have some of my money that I earn be taken by someone else to be used in political campaigns that I may or may not even know about or agree with the stand or agree with the candidate? I think it's a I think it's a personal choice, personal rights issue myself. Do you think that that issue is kind of going to be stagnated until there's a Republican governor and, you know, the super majorities of Republicans in the legislature remains? Because as we've talked about a lot on this show, obviously, I would say 100 percent of Democrats are against that and they would probably filibuster it. But there's also a lot of Republicans, especially in Jefferson County and St. Charles County, who are not that favorable to that idea because of their constituents many of their constituents are retired union members they get uh i I, believe me i i hear you and i know who you're talking about Uh, (laughs) this is not new information to you (laughs) the the previous three states that have done this all had republican governors and interesting enough what happened in michigan was republican governor and organized labor had a little bit of a pact Republican governor says, I'm not going to do right to work. Labor says, we won't run any constitutional amendments that outlaws right to work and changes state contracts. Labor broke the pact, 
and the business community, my counterpart there in, in Michigan and the, the governor, fought the uh, referendum. The business community won. Four weeks later, they passed right to work. I mean, it, it, there's a balance sometimes that gets out of whack, and, you know, there are consequences. Is there a balance out of whack here in Missouri from from your standpoint? Uh, uh, between... Between what entities? Well, between labor and business. I mean, you were no, talking I, about I the Michigan. I don't think so. Okay. I, uh, I, you know, the way I've always described it, Joe, labor and business are going to be like two kid brothers. We might fight all day, but at the end of the day, we better figure it out or we, or nobody wins. And uh, so I'm, you know, I, we've worked closely with labor on some things, such as the air cargo hub some other economic development initiatives. Um, we want jobs. Labor wants jobs. And that, that's a very common, strong theme. Now, there are people that we show no quarter to, and I'll go back to a, a hockey analogy. It's Missouri Association of Trial Attorneys. They, they come in the room, and we drop them and go. It's, uh, they're after our members. They want to sue them. They want to make it more difficult for business to defend itself. Uh, they work on three fronts. They work politically, they work legislatively, and they work in the courts. And they, they, they own the Missouri judicial system. And it's a it's a problem that we're going to have to address someday. But uh, uh, that's those are somebody that is uh, anathema to economic development. Now, segueing what you just talked about, labor and business in Missouri, sometimes being on the same side, uh, looking. T- towards August 5th, most of labor is with business on the side of right. pushing Amendment for Amendment 7. 7. Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. Um, first of all, take a look at the map of the United St- of North America. Point to the middle of it, and you'll end up in Missouri. Um, here are some stats. We have the second and third largest rail terminals in the country. Uh, we have the sixth longest highway system in the country. We have the river system, very vibrant. We have multimodal in Kansas City, very strong. A lot of trucking entities in the state of Missouri, and hopefully someday an international air cargo hub in St. Louis. Nobody can take our location away, and our view at the Missouri Chamber on infrastructure is that we should be the logistics and distribution center for not just the Midwest, but for the U.S. and for North America. And that is an investment well worth making. And that's why we are so strongly in support of Amendment 7. Amendment 7 isn't a long-term fix for how to fund transportation, but it's something we must do right now because with gas tax revenues decreasing and fuel efficiency increasing, uh, causing that, I should say, um, the funding uh, mechanism is, is going to fail. It's failing the federal government. It's failing the state government. So we have got to do something to make sure that Missouri doesn't dip below the bare minimum in about a year that it takes to just maintain what we have. Um, I-70, the first mile of I-70 is in St. Charles County. That should have been rebuilt 50, 25 years ago. And if you ever travel the great state like I do, I-70 needs a needs a retrofit and well, we need to expand it. it there's a lot of arguments for and against amendment seven and we've talked about those at length but let's talk about i-70 for a second one of the opponents that i've talked to a former 
Executive Director of East-West Gateway, Les Sturman, noted that the $500 million for I-70 would not pay for that entire expansion. There would be need to be another $1.5 billion, probably with bonds, according to him. How exactly would the rest of that expansion be paid for, even if the $500 million you know, comes from this amendment? Have you heard anything about that? I have not, but it is something that we try to support and try to figure out a responsible way to do, a way, way to handle. Um, again, that, that, that investment in infrastructure is just that. You're investing in it. It's an asset that we need to grow, uh, just like our talent development, just like our competitiveness, just like our entrepreneur com- community. Now, now, even Republicans, uh, some of whom support it, some who don't, were predicting over a month ago that things didn't look good for Amendment 7, and, of course, you've got the governor who's against it. Uh, and I know until recently there weren't really – your side wasn't really running that many ads. But I know you've got this big chunk that you're using for the last couple of weeks. What do you think is going to be the decisive factor? Do you think you're going to have enough time to make your case, enough time and enough ads? I shared the concern a month ago that, um, you know, wondering, okay <laughs> – What's happening out there? Because it's not easy to pass any sort of a issue that is regarded as a tax increase. If anybody phrases it like that, you get a lot of knee-jerk reactions saying, hell no, in the state of Missouri. I mean, look at the various ballot issues that we've had before. So what I think happened, Joe, the, the opposition really never organized or coalesced. I, I, I'm not seeing it. I'm seeing some letters to the editor and, uh, you know, things like that. But you match that up with seven figures on TV and signs and radio, and it's, it's a hard – you've got – I think if, the, if people opposing it spent a little money, we'd be, we could be in a lot of trouble because the polling wasn't great. It was over 50 percent, but uh, not that high. And to get a negative vote on these things, again, is a lot easier to get a positive. But I'm, I've, I've kind of changed my, my view of it. I think, I think it's got a heck of a shot because of how things are lining up. Now, now, I saw the ad this week, and it doesn't mention anywhere that this is a tax increase in that TV ad. Do you think that was done on purpose because if they mentioned the word tax increase, it might cause people not to vote for it? Oh, I, I think absolutely. Um, you know, there's a couple different ways that you can you can describe what it is. I I prefer an investment, but um, it's uh, it. This was out of the different mechanisms of getting to the funding that we thought was needed for roads, bridges, and infrastructure. This one pulled the best. Uh, tolling did not come close. Uh, and for gas tax, uh, bear with me on this, I, I think an, an extra penny of gas tax gets you about $28 million. So think about the massive increase in gas taxes you, you'd have to have to get to any critical mass. So that was a non-starter. This was, this was the shot at it. Uh, and I'm telling you, it's, if, if we do not pass Amendment 7, we're in trouble because the, that bare minimum number is $425 million a year. And within the next 12 to 18 months, gas tax revenue and transportation funding will be 
below that and trending lower. That's what, and that 425 million is what we need as a minimum to maintain what we have. Now, are there other issues that you're moving on as far as August 5th? Uh, we have supported the Freedom to Farm Act. Um, I think that passes. I've seen an awful lot of activity on the pro side, and again, about a not much uh, on the uh, on the anti. So, we think that's an issue that allows the really a bedrock of Missouri's economy to to be assured that uh, problems won't occur from outside groups coming in. And when I say bedrock of the economy, I mean the agribusiness sector. We produce raise an awful lot of food, whether it's crops, livestock, etc. And the other thing about that is a lot of that gets processed here into final product or on its way to final product. So there are a lot of jobs associated with that. Um, so I, I think that passes. Um, a few more coming up in November, but you've also got a couple spirited primaries that you see in, uh, in, in St. Louis. No kidding. I, I've, I've heard a bit about them. <laughs> yeah. do, you, do you think that's going to affect, okay, uh, St. Louis County, we've got this very hard-fought contest uh, for county executive, particularly on the Democratic side between mm-hmm. uh, incumbent Charlie Dooley and Steve Stanger. Um, I'm assuming the chamber has not taken a position, correct? That's correct. Okay. But my question is this. If there is a higher than expected turnout in St. Louis County by people in both parties uh, because they're coming out to make their choices or there may be Republicans coming and voting in the Democratic primary, they will be also casting ballots on these initiatives. Do you think that that contest or contests like that in the urban-suburban areas will have an impact on some of this other stuff, either right to farm or um, Amendment 7 or maybe something else? I think on Amendment 7, since it is a Democrat primary that we're primarily talking about with uh, Charlie Dooley and uh, Councilman Stenger, um, you drive a more Democrats than Republicans out. And I think that helps you on Amendment 7. Um driving Republicans out. Republicans are generally going to be initially anti-tax. Um, so I think that probably helps Amendment 7. Um, on the right to farm, I got to tell you, I think it's a wash. I don't think people understand it. And with no um, organized opposition, really, that I've seen yet or that, that you, you all are seeing in the St. Louis area, either on the, the television or on radio, here and on radio, I don't think people will know that, and I, you know, sometimes you got to be. Sometimes you, it's simple is good in this business, and right to farm sounds like a no-brainer. Well, <laughs> so, well, what about very, those who very good title? What about those who claim it actually helps the uh, factory farms, the big corporate farms? Uh, well, if they want to try to beat it, they probably better get moving pretty quickly and put okay. a half million or a million on the air and. <laughs> Did you hear that, Humane Society of the United States? You're right. being dared to do that. Well, they are, you know, that, that that's the fear from the proponents of right to farm, that you get kind of the inverse of what's mm-hmm. going on on Amendment 7, and the opponents come in with a massive buy and kaboom. Um, so, but I think um, it's a big state, and I you got to get a heck of a lot of people out in St. Louis to, to beat that thing if you... If, if you can run the campaign effectively in that media market. 
Well, now we've I also say it's a big state that we've got a lot of rural in Missouri, and they're gonna they're gonna be overwhelmingly in support. Let's look a little bit farther ahead, a month and a half. Let's talk a little bit about veto session. What are uh, are, what are your top three that you're looking forward to hopefully overriding the governor on the veto? That's tough to narrow it down. Um, no, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> you, have, you have 32 choices. <laughs> or, yeah, well, 30, right. 33. Right. No, one of them uh, has already been overridden. Oh, that's, ah, right. that's right. That's right. That's trick right. Trick question. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll name two to start with and see okay. if I can come up with a third. Um, <laughs> you can I'll, do two. That's okay. I'll start with the – and these ones – are head scratchers it's uh you know the overriding reason for vetoes was the fiscal situation in the state revenues were coming down we were uh, having a friday what was it, friday giveaway or whatever yeah the that's what called it. It. yeah hashtag um, friday giveaway yeah yeah so into special interests all right here's one for special interests there was a bill passed that said when the Department of Revenue changes the way they interpret a statute or a regulation, they have to tell the taxpayers, they have to give them notice, okay, which I don't think sounds silly at all, uh, especially if you're in business or as an individual. You want to tell me what the rules are and and. I'll I'll make sure I abide by them, but if you change it, let me know what they are so I don't get in a pickle with the Department of Revenue. Now somehow the state came up with a hundred or two hundred million fiscal note to that. We still don't understand how. So that's one that I think you're going to see a lot of activity on. Um, the next one is what we call burden of proof. Um, in our society. You are innocent until proven guilty. We all learned that way long time ago. Uh, in tax disputes with the Department of Revenue, you weren't. And you had to prove your side of the case before revenue proved that you were doing something wrong. Now, we changed that for individuals and small businesses. We passed a bill this year that does the same thing for all employers, medium and large. And I think that's just common sense. Um, Again, it was signed a fiscal note, and the governor vetoed it. I don't get it. Um, and I'll tell you, here's the third one that I think is going to be interesting to watch. It's the uh, uh, farm-raised deer uh, yes. that the governor vetoed. Um, the we weren't bill. involved in that one, but you're going to have a lot of people from rural Missouri, and uh, that thing passed overwhelmingly. So, And there is a there's a struggle, constant tension between the Conservation Commission and the Missouri legislature. The Conservation Commission has a dedicated sales tax that funds it. A lot of legislators will typically say that they do not respond to the legislature, and there is a a definite chasm between the two entities. Yeah, I mean, that's going to be the case when they don't depend on the legislature for money. They're pretty much in their own bubble and don't particularly care what they think of what they do. But continue. Those are three to watch. Um, And plus, they'll give it a go on the the more expensive uh, bills that the governor vetoed. Uh, Those will get uh, probably a lot of noise on them. Uh, But it's going to be a busy, uh, busy week that typically is not so much that busy. 
You said you weren't too optimistic about the data centers, though. Right, because it's in a bill that has some other items in it that did kick the cost up. So mm-hmm. I think I think there's there's a lot more pressure points to put uh, put on people to make say that make sure that the veto is sustained. Yeah, I mean, and I know we're running a little low on time, but if you look at those ten bills that are lumped into the quote unquote Friday favors basket, mm-hmm. some of those passed unanimously, and I think they probably have a good chance of getting overridden if some some try. The data center one, I think, only passed with ninety two votes or something right. like that. Yes. I think that's going to be really hard to overcome. It's going to be hard. Veto to get in, get it in the House, it's one hundred and nine. Uh, 109 votes, and that's that's hard to get. And in the Senate, it's 23. Correct. Yeah. Now, I, w- I will let's if, if you if you uh, would allow, I'll do a prediction for sure. Yeah, go November. ahead. I think the House in 109 to override a veto, and there are 109 Republicans. So, if all the Republicans show up and stay stay with their leadership, there's an override. That's well, actually, happen, actually, hang on a second. If two special elections go the way that they are expected to, they'll have 110 in the House by veto session. That's where I was going. Yes. And and I don't know this, but it's a question of when those new representatives get seated. So our crystal ball tells us that via the process, whether it's August and November in this election cycle, Republicans pick up a handful of seats in the House, uh, three to five. In the Senate, I think at worst— it stays this, for the Republicans. It stays the same, but they could net one. So, um, and one of one of the most contended, two of the most contended races are right in your neck of the woods. You're talking about the uh, the Jefferson County one and uh, the 24th in St. Louis County. Correct. Right, and and the reason why you get to that number is, let's say Jill Shoup wins the 24th race. Well, there's. There's the 10th district race that Julie Justice holds. Mm-hmm. That leans Republican. There's an expectation that Jeannie Riddle is favored in that race, so they essentially cancel each other out. Very and then, much so. And then, you know, whoever wins that Jeffco race, if mm-hmm. it's the Republican or the Democrat, that'll probably determine whether it's plus one for the Republicans or net zero for the Republicans. That's correct. So I think that, that Jefferson County race in particular with uh, Jeff Rorta as the Democrat and Paul Wheeland is the Republican. That's gonna, you're gonna see a lot of ordinance being expended. You're gonna see a lot Jefferson of mailers County. being sent oh, to yeah. Jeffco people. Yes. So. Yeah. Well, on that note, I will close us out here. Um, you can read all of our stories at stlpublicradio.org. Um, we were talking uh, a bit about the St. Louis County race, so you can go to stlpublicradio.org and hear both of the candidates who were on St. Louis on the air this afternoon. And we have the videos now up that uh, yes. Chris put those up. And Jason. The, yeah, and Chris, Jason. that um, the county exec candidates uh, give their views on, and we have tons of stories. Yes, tons too many. Of stories. <laughs> too many stories. You, you guys didn't want a video of me. I've been told by <laughs> Joe several times that I have a face for radio, but my <laughs> golly. <laughs> Maybe next time. <laughs> next time. Next time. Very good. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at, at CS McDaniel. Jason. Jay Rosenbaum. Joe. Uh, Jay Manis. That's J M A N N I E S. And can the Missouri Chamber be followed on Twitter? We can. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and how do you do that? <laughs> I, I'm you, not the, you Google I'm not Missouri the Chamber here. of Commerce Twitter. That's how you yes. do it. Okay. Yes, exactly. Thank you. Okay. We'll be back next week. If you want me, just call me. Okay, thanks. <laughs> Until then, so long.